Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. Now, here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, Joe here from Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I wish there was a podcast out there where the hosts have a hard time staying on topic and rely on their guests to carry the show? Well, then I have the thing for you. Come listen to me and my brother Steve talk about all things nerdy every week on the DNA Podcast, where we know it's not just a hobby, it's hereditary. Welcome everybody to today's side quest. We are coming to you just a couple of days after our first of the Candlekeep actual play episodes that we've got coming out. Hope that you are all enjoying that. So today's side quest is going to look a little bit different than some of ours previously. We're going to take a step back a little bit from the table and we're going to spend today talking more about tabletop RPG culture and some things that we've seen. You know, we're going to talk today about Today, we're going to spend today's side quest talking about superstitions that players and storytellers have at the table, uh, things that they feel like they need to go ahead and have in place to have uh, a positive, effective role-playing session. We've all seen them. We've all got them. So let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and talk about it. Uh, Lee Wanika, why don't you go ahead and start us off tonight? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to talk about the oldest superstition I have used in tabletop gaming. I would say I started it in the late 80s when I really started gaming with other DMs other than my main DM at the time. And it was this very simple thing. I bought a new set of dice every time I started a new player character in a new campaign. I've always done it. If I've got a new character, I have a new set of dice. I have probably put a few children through college (laughs) just in the amount of dice that I have uh, purchased over the years. But I really enjoy that. And interestingly enough, in the digital world, I have even purchased on D&D Beyond digital dice during this pandemic where I couldn't necessarily immediately get to, during the early months, get to the game store to buy one. So I was playing in a virtual game 
and I picked up a brand new set of virtual dice for that character. I then also went and bought real dice for them as well shortly thereafter because, well, the virtual dice didn't roll quite as well as I wanted them to. Uh, <laughs> there is but, something about, about the clackety-clackety math rocks that, uh, that as they roll across the table, there's, there's, there's a certain aesthetic to that, yeah. And it's an absolutely silly thing. There's no science behind it, but I just feel better. It's like I'm starting a new character. It's a new mindset. It's a new whatever. Oftentimes, if I start a new character, it's a new game. And if it wasn't a new game, I really need new dice. So <laughs> it's, it's just one of those situations where it's just the silly thing that I always do. And I think of all the superstitions that are probably out there, it's probably the most benign, but it's also the most odd. Yeah, I, I actually picked up that superstition from you and have done the same thing. Like even to the point that when I begin, uh, when I begin new campaigns now, I will generally buy a set of dice that are for use for me as the storyteller for that campaign. You know, I did it for uh, for the one shot that we did with Drinking and Dragons a couple of months ago. I did it for that one. Um, I did it for uh, the 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 Candlekeep AP that we're doing, uh, and I will continue to go ahead and do it. I I I have not yet bought. Uh, the set of dice for uh, for the Warforged uh, that I'm playing um, in an Eberron campaign coming up, but I I have bought the fig. The fig is on its way, uh, and I have already started looking at what dice I want to go ahead and use uh, for that uh, for that character. Uh, it, it is it's a simple thing, but it's one of those things that really helps me. It ironically helps me find the character's identity when I realize that the dice are going to be how that player that character kind of communicates to the world and how it interacts with the world, and so giving it kind of its own its own voice is it it sounds like a silly thing but it's something that I absolutely picked up from you I loved it from you uh when I when I learned it about it 20 something years ago and I've done it ever since so and especially if I'm playing a spellcaster I will buy not only a regular set of dice for that spellcaster I will also buy one of those little boxes of six siders for that spellcaster uh, because I obviously, uh, if you're a spellcaster, you're going to be throwing down a cone of cold or a lightning bolt or a fireball or a what have you. And you're going to want uh, a, a large amount of six-sided six dice. And I try to find the things that emulate that color. Glenn, I've sat at your table and you know I'm very much ask, always asking the question, do you mind if I flavor the colors of my spells or can I have... Uh, X, Y, or Z smell uh, happen when I cast my spell. So I try to pick dice that match that color or more accurately, I bought the dice. And so then I'm trying to pick the color that matches the (laughs) dice I bought. Um, But it is something that just speaks to me. And it's something I thought was pretty cool. Like I said, silly, but in the end, isn't that what superstitions are? They help us as people navigate the world in a way that makes us feel comfortable and makes us feel more natural at whatever the thing we're doing is. And I that's why I do the dice. Yep, I totally agree. And I think that 5e kind of complicates that a little bit because not everything is d6, especially in the spell casting anymore. Like a lot of the evocation spells are d8s and, and you know, then you've got the whole thing with like you've got side dice and Battlemaster dice and all these things that are now additional dice They're helping sets, out but- the dice industry <laughs> yeah. exactly, right, exactly, well, you know. well, well, I will say this I do think because I love the Battlemaster and I have played a few it would be very nice if uh, the makers of dice collections actually had dice sets uh, that match some of these classes that had different things so if you had a Battlemaster set of dice it would be all colored and you could have the appropriate amount of Battlemaster dice in addition to the normal standard dice and so you could have those Side die for a psionic warrior. You could have those 
uh, th those Battlemaster dice uh, for that other thing. And maybe for those who are out there in the fabrication world, Josh, um, making uh, dice that maps that kind of thing <laughs> might be a good idea. See, dice is one of the biggest automatic visual images that traces straight back to role-playing. So it's definitely a classic keystone for traditions, superstitions, and various behavioral shenanigans yeah. to form up around. Um, behavioral shenanigans. Yeah, I just coined that phrase. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. That That's Glenn, our word guy, everybody. <laughs> but yeah, what I've really liked is looking back as I've thought about this episode since we first put it on the Asana board, um, was I really enjoyed looking at how much they've changed for me over the years, specifically around dice, right? So when I was younger, I definitely needed all the clacky clacky math rocks I could get. If I had enough money, I was buying a new set of dice. Matching sets, they were the coolest thing ever. Now mind you, I've been role-playing for a long time, so that was actually when matching sets of dice kind of came out. But we won't completely go into my dinosaurness. It did evolve into I bought a new set of dice for every campaign, not necessarily character, because if somebody died and was resurrected, not necessarily, but every new campaign. And back then I used to get really like obsessed with them too, like which ones were good dice and which ones were bad dice. And I'd pick as a, once I started storytelling, I'd pick my storytelling dice from my giant horde of dice based on my best rollers, so I'd have the highest opportunity, of course, to whack my players. But the funniest thing about all of this ranting, well, not ranting, rambling story is that now that I am older, I have a couple of new traditions. I had just started one of when I ran a game, buying a set of dice for each of the players at my live table. Ooh. Uh, Lee was at the very first game that that was introduced to with Daje, and I bought everybody a set of dice that came in a little bag. Um, I had also bought these really cool, like, old Viking coin-looking things to use as inspiration coins to flick out. Virtual makes all that a little bit harder. As an old man, I find myself picking the dice that I arrange in front of me as a DM based on which ones have the clearest numbers that I can read with my old man <laughs> eyes. <laughs> and I still have an original D20, the pale blue tiny molded D20 that you colored with a right cray white crayon, and there's no way I can read that son of a gun yeah, that stays I, in the box. I... I you know what? You're not you're not wrong on that, uh, Glenn. You know, I I made a big deal about the fact that I bought new dice uh, for the one shots that we played uh, for uh, Drinking and Dragons. What I didn't say was that those brand new dice they were base of a pale blue with dark purple numbers. <laughs> like that's like it's like those are good dice. I'm gonna get. I want those. contrast. <laughs> those those are the dice so I want. Yeah. So the the audience can't see this, but I'm going to put this in front of the camera for for my co-host here, and I can tell you, I'm looking at a die that is blue, like a darker bluish purple, with yellowish green speckles and yellow numbers that are thinly oh. painted. Oh, yeah, I can awful. barely read them as you're rotating yeah. it in front of your it camera. It is the hardest thing in the universe <laughs> to read. Like, Let that bitch out. Cast I mean, it out. I have, uh, like this is the the D, this is the twenty on that. This is just a terrible die, uh, and, and I just I rarely use it. Uh, I mean because it's awful. It's just awful. Sometimes I mean like 
I previously said I don't fudge dice, but if I roll that one by accident... <laughs> you have to pretend what the number is. <laughs> There's a little bit of fudging involved because you don't know what you roll. It automatically becomes advantage or disadvantage. That's all I'm yeah. saying. That, that one is, that is terrible. Yeah. It is terrible die. You know, I, it, it, it hates me. Yeah, that, oh. <laughs> that, that's another superstition that I wanted to get into, actually, was to talk about how, uh, how D20s in particular are awarded for their service or... Or 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 uh, demoted for their service at the table, Liwanika. I don't think you were at this game. I think that you had already left. But this was this was a a game with uh, with friend of the show Benito, probably fifteen years ago. I don't know. Um, look, uh, I showed up at that game with a hair across my ass in the first place. Like I was in a bad mood when I came in. Those dice fumble after fumble after fumble to the point that me from 15 feet across the room and on the far side of the table over everybody's head through the three d20s that i had that could that i could not succeed with into the trash can one two three like dead shot from across the room scared the crap out of everybody at the table like what are you doing why are you throwing things at my face like because those dice deserve to go and played with somebody else's <laughs> dice for the night. You know, oh, it was... So, yeah, I have I have gone so far as to throw away dice that are underperforming. What about you guys? I have never thrown away dice permanently, though I have lost a few because I threw them far enough away that they have ne'er returned. <laughs> Same. Same. They took the invitation and left, yeah. There's a camp out of three where dice may have left the tent and were not found during the policing action the next morning when we were getting ready to leave Cotegan uh, Rock here in uh, Connecticut. Dice for me, they are serving in the moment. It's why I still keep all the dice. I have my Superman box that has the dice I'm using currently. Not terribly far from me, I have a little uh, T10 uh, uh, that I keep all of my old, a uh, bunch of my older dice, and somewhere in my garage, there's a small box that has even more dice that uh, I absolutely am not using anymore. I know for a fact there's a there's a set of d6s in there that I used for character generation once that was in a game that was like um, whatever you roll you get, and I came up with like four, <laughs> like three times. They sit there. For whatever reason, I figure if I actually throw away a die with the purpose of throwing it away, the gods of the dice, they will visit upon me great upheaval. It will come and, I will, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I don't wish to have upheaval visited upon me. You'll, you'll like wake up with the d20 on the pillow next to your face like it's a horse head or something like that? Like yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the dice came back the very next day and the dice came back thought it was a goner, but no, 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 don't no, go there. No, no, we're good. No, we're good. Okay. All right. Come on. That was pretty decent. You didn't see that one coming. What, so what about you, I did, uh, I, I've thrown some away from in the same perspective. If I get frustrated enough with one, I've hucked it across the room. Some of them have wound up underneath the couch, never to be seen again mm-hmm. until somebody steps on them in the middle of the night on the way to the bathroom after the cat found it. Yeah, that's why you don't throw D4s. Floor. Yeah. Yeah. If it's D4s, you're in trouble with the wife. They're called Caltrops. <laughs> no, no kidding, right? I have played with a number of people who have straight up thrown them away. Somebody who hucked them into the woods. <laughs> My favorite dice fit, and that's what I call it, happened in the basement of the Citadel back when Pat Pat ran it near uh, where Sushikawa is now. Kodo. Kodo. Thank you. My bad. Wrong restaurant. So right beside Kodo. 
one of the guys we played with worked for Pat. So we got to play, and he had a key. And we were allowed, with Pat's permission, um, to play in the Citadel in the middle of the night in the basement area that was his actual play area. And it's just us. So it was awesome. Although it was really, really hard to convince the pizza delivery guy at like almost midnight to come down the scary dark alley to behind the building to the basement door and knock on this strange metal door and hope we weren't going to mug him. <laughs> Three we times. did talk him into it. <laughs> so we know it's you. <laughs> but at any rate, one of the players in this character would get assessed, especially vehement with their dice. He kept them all in a big glass mason jar. And it went exactly the way you think it's going. Partway through the night, he had enough of a fit after he rolled his dice one too many times, and he picked up the entire mason jar and just lobbed it behind him over his shoulder. Ouch. Not good. So glass and dice went everywhere. And it was shenanigans like that that eventually had Pat ask us not to play there in the middle of the night anymore. <laughs> I think the piece de la resistance was during a game of pit when uh, somebody was, it might, have, might not have been pit. Somebody was trying to stop somebody else from hitting the buzzer. Somebody got tackled through the closet door. That sounds I wasn't like some of our that old games of doorknob. I was not there that <laughs> night, and I and I've used no names in this story. Thank, thank, thankfully. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> and thankfully. I, I, I think Lee Wanika is really glad that you don't use names in that story. <laughs> I did say behavioral shenanigans. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to be fair. But along those lines, let's talk about some of those things. So superstitions, you know, uh, or traditions and superstitions, you know, we all do like really odd things. You know, I know uh, I've got a good friend who games with us who uh, whenever we're in a car and we're driving down the road and a stoplight, it, we're coming up on a red light. He has this whole somatic thing he does to try to wish the, the stoplight away. He's probably shooting about 45% win, but it's kind of fun to see him do it. But I absolutely love those types of things, and, and we all do them at the table. You know, it's kind of like mantras that we may say for certain types of characters or things that we put in every single character. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love naming things in a literary manner or based on... I love coming up with names that are evocative of, but do not take exactly from books I've read, shows I've watched, actors I like, or directors I like. You know, we recently recorded an episode where I uh, named, where I made a character and named that character uh, after Nicolas Cage, in a way. Uh, that was really, um, that was one of my more on the nose ones, but one of my most favorite characters was actually named after uh, Tarzan, because I love Tarzan. So this character's name was Razan. And his last name was Greystoke. You know, that was my send up to Tarzan. And the character had very little to do, it had nothing to do with Tarzan ex at all. Like nothing about him was similar. It was just, I was rereading a Tarzan novel at the time and I really dug that character. And that's kind of where I went with it. And Greystoke's a badass name, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is. Um, it, 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 it's a lot of fun. Razan was a little primitive, let's be honest here. Like, I remember Razan Greystoke. Although I, I although I remember Razan Greystoke the third, so, like, that's, you know. Yeah. I'm apparently <laughs> about to meet some Greystokes. Yeah, <clears throat> and he was on the nose and was a lot more similar to Tarzan. Uh, as I went, I, I kind of played this whole family in multiple campaigns because they all maintained the same name. I started doing different things with them. But I did have two of them that took that on the very much on the nose. Like I had one uh, family member that was went to this place that, in that game world was called Soros Island, and he was raised by a tribe of lizard men. 
and he went totally native. And, and that was that camp, the source of the campaign I actually was running where I played him as an NPC and uh, with a party of folks that did different things and then went to the mainland and went back. So it was very much taking John Greystoke back to England. Uh, that was the feel behind the campaign or the impetus behind the campaign. So I very much leaned on naming naming conventions based on books, series, things that have, have inspired me in different ways. So I'm less about naming convention of my characters. I, I do that sometimes, but to be honest, most of the character names that I come up with are randomly generated, to be totally honest. You know, either I'm, I'm naming them something something literary that it reminds me of or just really totally like randomly generating it and then kind of going from there I, I more say like once I because I, I actually I come up with the name first and then kind of build the rest of the character from there and kind of do it that way around but the one thing that I will do and I know that this is a this is one of these issues that is sort of polarizing in the TTE especially in the physical space less right now because we're doing a lot of VTT but I insist that every game, every session that I go to when I'm playing a game, I have a clean character sheet with everything printed clearly. There are no marks on it. There are no pencil erasures. There is, it is a totally, like I literally, the last thing that I do before I leave the house, I print out a fresh copy. Everything is typed on it. Everything is very clean. And so that I know the character that I'm working with right now. There are pluses and minuses to that, I will admit, but most, but in terms of playing that actual session, I want to see really super clean information in front of me. And I know a lot of people go kind of the polar opposite of that, where they have a single character sheet that is that character for the entire time that they're playing in across multiple sessions, cr- through multiple levels and everything like that. And so I know that that one could be a little bit polarizing. We are going to talk about superstitions and weird behaviors and behavioral shenanigans today. So I'm going to call myself out for what takes what Josh just said to tier four. <laughs> I save every character sheet for every character I have ever played in every tabletop game, period. So even if I'm playing virtually, I will have that sheet printed and I save it. Worse yet, or better yet, depending on your perspective, Josh, I think, would say better yet. Not only do I make sure I have a clean sheet for each set, each time I play, I actually get a sheet protector for said character. I tend to have folders for said characters. And in these folders, the back pages are the older levels of the character. So if I play a character 1 through 20, I will have 20 different character sheets in there at any at every level I've played it. And I will save that. One step further, because that's only tier three as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) I am currently in the process of taking every character I have ever played and redoing them in 5e. My first edition characters are being redone in 5e. Because I love seeing the comparison of an old character with the new rule set. And obviously some things don't translate very well, so you have to make some differences. How did I play this character? Well, that was a lot closer to this subclass or that subclass, so I'll just go with that. But I think that's amazing. The only thing I do is whatever his stats were, I manually put those in. Uh, and then if there's bonuses that went up or down because of feats or, or ASIs, then I'll just do that where I figure they might have ended up. And I just love the heck out of that. I think it's awesome. And I've had some really great NPCs in my tabletop games that have come from some random some first level, yeah. some random first first edition character or basic edition character or second edition character that I have just plussed up uh, to 5e. I love doing that. 
that that that's my little superstition. I keep all my characters. See, and I used to be like that. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, in my first incarnation as a Dungeons and Dragons player, I kept everything. And I even still have some of it, believe it or not, despite a house fire that kind of taught me that everything's temporary. Shout out to anybody who's ever had to go through that. But it kind of teaches you that some of the stuff you can't get back and you just have to learn to let go. But as I've gotten older, and again, it's looking at how much I've changed, you know, I used to save it all and I still have some of it. But now I'm really looking at life from kind of a minimalist perspective and I'm kind of getting not fully into minimalism, but a little bit. Um, And I really like the idea of shifting most of my content to digital to narrow the amount of stuff that I have because my house is so full of it from one side to the other. And my role playing stuff is no small part of it, but I'm facing some tough choices because I'm like, do I actually use this and need to have it versus having it take up space that I could use to downsize, make things less expensive, consolidate my life. So I'm really conflicted because I don't want to give up those memories, but they're just that they're memories. So they're still in my head, but I am 100% neurotic about my character sheets, just like Josh. <laughs> Back when we used to write pencil, it had to be a mechanical pencil so that it stayed sharp. Oh, yeah. It had to be 0.5 millimeter lead. And if I left a visible erasure mark that just clearly smudged the square I was filling in, I had to print a new sheet and start over. Yeah. I mean, I was insane. That doesn't hold all the way true anymore, but as a storyteller now, I do still have, before I am ready to launch a game, before I'm ready to look up and say, hey, everybody, there are certain things that I have to do. And as I set up my space, everything has to go in the right spot. It doesn't stay there, so I don't know why, because by the end of the game, it's everywhere. But I always start out with my dice to my right, my pile of immediate reference material directly in front of me, slightly to my left, with my immediate notes on top of it, and my inspiration coins spread out neatly at the front of the screen, and everything's got to be just so. Kind of like if you're playing a war game like um, Twilight Imperium, and you have to arrange all your spaceships into perfect little rows. Yeah, I'm that guy. But once I play, it doesn't matter. Once the game starts, it can all go to hell in a basket. Yeah, so I'm kind of with you on the minimalistic piece of that. I am no longer, like, part of why I'm translating them all is because I am getting rid of the paper. The process of getting rid of the paper is scanning it so I have a digital copy of the original. And then while I'm doing that, I'm also building the 5e version so so it has a new life as well. Um, And then I'm slowly moving those things out. There are still a few things that I'm keeping in folders or whatever, and those tend to be the final copies of those uh, of those campaigns. So my very first big campaign, uh, the Hardened Hands, that a uh, friend of the show, Marty, uh, uh, did, actually a patron of the show as well, uh, that group of characters. Marty! I, I have the newest version of those saved in a folder. That has a place uh, it, 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 on my shelf. Um, you know, that type of thing. Other things are almost entirely digital at this point. It is still about having that sheet. I'm at the point now where for me to have it and know how to find it, uh, a character sheet digitally is the same as having it physically. So I'm kind of making some of those transitions, not as far along as you. Um, I'm still holding the reins a little tighter, but, uh, but I definitely have that need to see the old sheet. Where you two are going minimalist, uh, just recognize that I am firmly occupying the other side of that equation. I am I am a gatherer of stuff 
Uh, I am, I am a squirreler away of trinkets of, of, you know, I'm, I'm basically a Kenku at the end of the day. Like that's, that, that's really like, that's, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm the crow flying around. Like, you know, like, uh, I, I pointed this out earlier. Like this is a bag of coins. I don't even know when I got these, but they just happen to be sitting on my bookshelf. Um, and so when you mentioned them earlier, Glenn, I was like, Oh, get coins right here. You know, um, my, my desk is full of scraps of odd paper of you know like you name it like it, it that's that's just me that's just i mean to the point that um i still have uh a copy of the four to five hundred pages of printed offline conversation that my character and another character had way back in the way back times uh, when that player and I uh, started dating um, and the in-game conversations that we would have uh, filled a four to 500 page bind. I still have a cop. I still have my copy of that binder. Are you referring to Androsius by chance? Uh, I am. I am uh, talking about the love story of Androsius and Riazia. I am. That's true. Yes. So I have that digitally. Just throwing that out there. So, so, <laughs> so their superstitions is you cannot let go of any of your past lore <laughs> ever or it will leave you forever and all of its greatness will abandon you yeah, absolutely yeah i mean i still have i have every paper i ever wrote in college i have like you like i used to be like that it was a combination of the house fire when i was younger and then just some serious thought in the last few years about where trish and i want to be i, I want to fit in an rv like full-time yeah. if we can nope. one day you know so we got it we got to narrow things down yeah. a little bit no nope. no nope. yeah so my thing is I am willing to bet the areas of history that we have no record of are because those people were too minimal. See, exactly. They wanted to live in like, IVs too. Like how much lore <laughs> do we know about the past simply because somebody left some paper in a strong box that wasn't destroyed in dust storm, firestorm, or whatever. No, uh, no. I counter with the fact that my children and my children's children will carry on the verbal history of our clan. Hey, and I will be remembered through the annals of history. And I don't argue that either. I'm just saying they'll be believed a lot more if they got some paper behind it. I'll write a book or two, too. It'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, but but uh, so, yeah. So in addition to those kinds of uh, superstitions, and we went deep when it came to uh, our hoarding ways. Uh, and how that relates to the hobby, but I know we're not the only one. I have had storytellers that consistently, I don't know how much of it is tradition and how much of it is a superstition, but they were very consistent for a number of years about making sure every player had a fig, not just because they did figs at the table, but he wanted them to be very unique and yeah. uniquely painted and all of that. And I loved that. And for a long time, at least in the digital space, I still award experience points or a bonus feat uh, uh, in 5e because I don't do, I, I do milestones now, as many of you now know. Um, but I have actually awarded a bonus feat or a magic weapon or something for people who uh, have come to the table with a painted fig when we were live. Mag a bonus um, feat. That's a good way to do that, actually. Not, not to totally derail the conversation, but that's a good way to do that. Coming up with a custom representation of your character. Yeah. yeah uh, that shows because to, the level of uh, commitment. Yeah. Uh, I think w if I am to read into what that storyteller was trying to get to, is he wanted people to personalize and really connect with that character. 
and the process of taking a fig. And for all of our uh, all of our listeners who who do minis and paint minis and do all that, I'm not talking about buying a pre-painted WizKids, though I buy several of them. Uh, but I mean, when you take the time to paint that fig, it meant something. And he did this thing where it's like, you paint your primary fig, you get uh, a thousand experience points. This is uh, second edition originally. You would get 500 for any key NPC that you painted as well. So if you met an NPC who did not already have a fig and you got a fig and painted that fig and made that fig really cool, you still own the fig, by the way, but that was to represent that NPC. Yeah you would get 500 experience points for that. Yep. And as we went on, because again, we're talking second edition where you could eventually get followers and things of that nature and even in, and carried this over into third edition. If you then went out, got an army to represent the army or the followers that you as a player character were in control of or had, then you would get uh, experience points. I think it was something like 250 for each member of that army. There, like I know, I I got levels. Like I was probably about three levels higher than uh, simply from the figs they did. Now I was in a game that every player, all twelve of us, did this. So nobody was any higher than anybody else. And I'm sure some of us probably did it just to keep up. Well, yeah, but yeah. but but it was Josh. You were in that. I raised game. my hand as one as somebody that wanted to keep up because I mean that was that was the expectation at the at the game table. It's like no, you will have a fig, and it absolutely did help solidify who that character was. You're absolutely right, and, and it helped you build the world. Like when you start building your followers. They were a group of NPCs that were in a town and like you felt the connection to that town. The decision of are we going to defend that town over there, go for the gold over there or defend your town was very easy from a character perspective. It was I'm going to defend my town or if that was saving the whole world and your town had to be undefended. You're like, I'm leaving all my guys. I trust them to protect the town. I will go that mission with the party alone. You know, it built so much story into the game that that became a tradition. That move, I'm sure it probably started as a superstition. Maybe when he was a player, I don't know. I'll have to talk to him about that at some point. But I'm betting that that move from from a superstition to a tradition because of how well it worked specifically with that gaming group uh, and and how much we enjoyed it and how much a part of it was. And I use elements of that even in the games I play now. So, um, you know, I can't wait to get back to a live table so we can get back to that piece of it. So, and I really like the way that you're, you're saying that he did that. That sounds really interesting to me in terms of rewarding the extra buy-in from your players. You should do similar things like that. Make it a tradition versus a superstition for someone who gets really into their backstory or awesome things in terms of innovation and helping you create the environment. But um, for anybody out there, you know, listening to us and taking inspiration from it. Keep in mind that some things work great with a specific group like that worked great with that one. Um, but in another group, you might have to come up with a different tactic, but find a way to reward that participation. Uh, because if you make it where the pig, fig painting in particular, you pick the one thing, then the player at your table that's not good at that could wind up getting left behind. In the instance where you got a group where it all works for, hey, go for it, go all in. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, I would, I was, and probably remain out of those twelve players, the worst fig painter among us. The, at least the thirteenth best fig, fig painter, exactly. Yeah, but I will say this: we also got together as a group separate from the game night 
and had fig had painting, fig painting parties. Nights, yeah. right. We would just hang out, have and some that, beverages, adult or otherwise, some snacks, some pizzas, whatever, Chinese food, whatever. Uh, you know, and we would work on that and people would help me. They would help me paint figs. They would help me show me techniques. And I can tell you, while I am not a great fig painter, five or six of the best figs I have ever painted, I painted at some of those events and they were awesome. And I've shown, uh, I, I don't have all of them anymore, but a couple of them, specifically my Glade Knight in white was a remarkable fig. I think it's better than some of the professional stuff I've seen in some cases, but it, it, it was largely a one-off, but it was something was just perfect on that just perfect night to make that fig. And that made that fig and that character, one of the most fun characters I ever played. And that was for a side game. I played him for maybe tops eight sessions, but I loved that character. Uh, so we want to hear from everybody out there about the superstitions that you have or the traditions that you have either at your tables or uh, or as a player. Uh, please, you know, throw those down in the comments. We want to hear from you. Uh, let's go around for last words. Um, Glenn, how about you? Final words. I think whatever you do at your own tables to make them unique and interesting, whether it's you with your players or your players for themselves, um, if they only roll dice with their right hand or... They have to use the dice tower, and if it misses the dice tower and clacks across the table, they have to re-roll it. Embrace that. Let them enjoy it. Let them have their foibles and their idiosyncrasies, and just have fun with it. Oh, you know, that's one actually that we didn't touch about is... is Dice towers, dice trays, or, or, no, no, or no, table. No, no, not even, not even that but, that, but that you read the dice where it lies regardless of where it is. That, it's like if it rolls off the table, you follow that stuff. You follow it. You're like, you, you, I don't. I ended that. I made a house rule that if it leaves the table, it doesn't count. Oh. You must roll again so yeah. that the game wasn't delayed for 20 minutes trying to get it out from underneath a oh. yep. china cabinet. Nope. Because that, that happened. That may have happened with my youngest, uh, who has a tendency to miss his dice tower often. Um, uh, just his thing. I don't think it's a bad thing, but it does happen. Uh, and, and, you know, or sometimes you're playing in a space, at least back when we were in the physical world, where your, your amount of real estate is very small. And so it's hard to get it contained or whatever. And so I, I, I get the logistics of, of the decision not to. I come from the old school where it's... <laughs> you read the dice nah, where it lies. Nah, son. You get, <laughs> that's a two-man lift. Let's get that... get Lift up the, 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 the tchotchke holder and read the dice where it is. So you It know. might also yeah. have been something I let go because I used to be that way because my old butt is too damn sore broken and twisted mm. to be down there on my hands and knees with a flashlight trying to read a d20 around a dust bunny in the back of the china cabinets like under space by the heater i, I think don't need it's that a 16. anymore i'm good <laughs> i have scars on the tops of my knuckles from how many have gone under <laughs> no. radiator vents you know on the foils on the radiator vent i'll cut you up cut you up but the blood on the die? No. Oh. <laughs> all right, everybody. I hope that you all enjoyed this episode as much as we did. We're going to be talking more about tabletop RPG culture and and stuff like that, out-of-game stuff. I'm sure that this topic is going to come up more. Uh, so please, by all means, uh, throw your comments, throw your, uh, throw your likes uh, in the comments on this episode. Uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. And by all means, give us your 
traditions and or superstitions. I would love to have a list that comes from our Facebook and our Twitter followers. So the next time we do one of these breaks in content to do this discussion, we can just mention the list of these things. Start start writing them down. Start, start letting us know. We'll hear from you soon. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.